You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. My name is Becca Briswalter. My husband and I attend the Forbes Community Group. I'm going to be reading Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Thank you, Becca. Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, My name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Church. If you're a guest, we have Connect cards located at the back on the resource wall, or you can scan a QR code. We would love an opportunity to connect with you, to serve you, and to see how we could get you plugged into the life of the body. And if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Daniel's back there. He'll bring you one. If you're on your phone or your tablet or something like that, we use the ESV. So I really, really enjoy, I'm going to call it situational awkwardness. Um, You know, like something's going on and I just get to be an observer of other people feeling uncomfortable, just as long as I don't have to be the participant in feeling uncomfortable. So, for example, I really, really, really enjoy it when it's happening on TV and it's not real. No one, no one's affected. But um, the more uncomfortable I feel watching this show or this interaction, the more I seem to enjoy watching it. I'm, I'm pretty messed up. But, for example, one show that I watched, this man promises to pay college tuition to a group of third graders if they would graduate high school. Now, this man works for a paper company in the time where the internet is making paper pretty much obsolete. And not only is he just, he's just a worker. Like, he has, he's not making just a ton of money. So as these kids are preparing to graduate high school, he finds that he is unable to pay for their college tuition. And so they're throwing this man a huge appreciation thing at the school, and he has to go to the school and tell all these poor souls that he made them a promise that he can no longer keep. He has promised to pay their college tuition, and he can't afford to do so. So what does he do instead of college tuition? He gives them batteries to laptop computers because that's all he could afford. (laughs) So... The batteries were lithium, though, so I guess that helps. 
Uh, I've seen this episode about 15 times, maybe more, and it's awful every time. And I laugh and laugh and laugh every time. The first part of our text today is kind of like this. Paul is making another push for unity in this church. And it's one of those moments in scripture where I wish I could have been a fly on the wall to observe what's happening. Paul, the tender pastor, is calling this church to holiness through faith in Christ and unity with one another. And he's confronting these two women And it is probably very awkward as they're hearing their names called out in this church setting. But for us today, this text is going to push us to three things. This text is going to push us to unity. This text is going to push us to rejoice in all circumstances and how to do so. And this text is going to push us to peace in Jesus. So let's dive in. Uh, Let's pray and then we're going to jump into... Uh, we're coming down the home stretch of Philippians, so let's, let's pray and, and jump in. Lord, we need you. Lord, we pray that uh, you would be honored and glorified in what's done and said here this morning. Lord, I pray that you um, would do a work in us. Lord, help us to see our unbelief, and um, Lord, that you would you would call us to faith and repentance in you. Church, if you're willing, I'd ask that you'd pray for yourself, that you would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed, and that the Lord would bring conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, Philippians 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So we have this word, therefore. Anytime we see the word, therefore, we should find out what it's there for. Yeah, you guys are paying attention. Uh, Basically, this is saying, so then, in view of last week's text, Paul is calling us to faithful endurance. It can be summarized like this. So then, because we have a home in heaven, and this earth is just our temporary dwelling, Because we have a glorious inheritance that awaits us in Christ, and we will possess it fully when Christ returns, may we stand firm. May nothing move us as believers from the firm foundation that we have. And that firm foundation is anchored in the cross of Jesus, that he has purchased our eternal pardon from the penalty of sin and completed through the resurrection. May we stay true to the course of faithful endurance. Paul says, stand firm. Stick with it. Do not give up. By the grace of the Lord Jesus, who has made salvation possible in him, stay the course. Keep following Jesus faithfully. And Paul says, stand firm. Not in your own power, but stand firm in the Lord. He's reminding us yet again of our unity of the faith 
that Christ has given us through grace alone. He's reminding us again of the faith that Christ has purchased for us. Tony Marita says this, that if you are a believer, then you ought to realize that Paul isn't simply saying, hey there, try harder. Though these exhortations do require effort, they are empowered by and empowered through our union with Jesus, and they are supercharged through our communion with Jesus. So let's heed these instructions with hope believing that we can change in these areas because of Christ. And then Paul goes into verse 2. He says, I entreat uh, Euodia and I entreat Sintuke to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Can you imagine what that would have felt like There's a person standing before a church reading a letter, and he says, hey, Devante, hey, Daryl, get along, right there in front of everybody. Paul has been appealing to unity in some general terms up to this point in this letter, and now he gets very specific. Girls, he says, calls them by name, Euodia, Sintuke. Let's agree. Get along. And again, note that he uses this phrase, agree in the Lord. So someone standing before this congregation, reading this letter, Paul has pointed out that there are two women in this church, and they're having an issue that is threatening to break up not just the fellowship of the church, but also the gospel witness outside of the church. Paul is making a rebuke of these women publicly. I'm reminded of Proverbs 27.6 that says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Paul loves these ladies. So he is confronting them in their sinfulness. And if you're a Christian in 2023, I'm going to tell you this. It's okay to be told hard things by people you love and who love you. It's also okay to be told that you are incorrect. If you're walking in sin, it is okay to be confronted in that. That is how community is designed to work. You receive encouragement, but you also need to receive correction. And so we see Pastor Paul speaking the truth in love, which we all need. Paul urges them. Paul is begging them, please work it out. And do so in a way which you agree. Literally, he says, have the same mind as one another. Think the same things. The pastoral plea is to have the right attitude towards one another as sisters in Christ so that they can further the mission of God in the oneness, the unity of the family of God. This agreement isn't for them to disregard their personal preferences. This isn't to disregard doctrine and devotion and theology, but to agree in the attitude of Christ on the centrality of the gospel. This text is giving us 
a picture of conflict resolution and church discipline. Paul calls on someone else. In verse 3, he calls this person the true companion. Paul calls on someone else in the church to help these women in their pursuit of reconciliation. Paul is calling on the peacemakers. Not the peace fakers, but the peacemakers. He says if you're in conflict with another believer and you can't seem to reconcile... Paul, and Jesus for that matter in Matthew 18, is calling for the circle to widen until reconciliation can be established. This is yet again another instance where the church and church membership is implied and expected. And then you are expected to act on behalf of one another. So I'm going to go off script here. This is dangerous. Mark. Uh, there's this thing that happens in church, in churches, where we get into conflict with people, and we never work it out. And what usually happens is we fake it and are gossipy about that person behind their back, or we leave the church and find another church until somebody else makes us mad, and then we go somewhere else. And guess what? Until you deal with the stuff going on in your own heart, you will continue to get mad, and you will continue to leave, and you will continue to be let down, and it is a vicious, vicious cycle. But Paul is calling us here to unity, to work it out, to confront one another in our sin, in love, and pursue unity as brothers and sisters of Christ and as children of God. So if you're walking in conflict with somebody, another believer, I implore you in view of God's mercy, work it out. I will go with you. There are plenty of people in this room that will go with you, but by all means, work it out. We hand out a conflict resolution field guide here. Uh, I will give that to you. Uh, If you need it, I can text you a PDF. I send that thing out widely. I didn't write it. I wish I did. Whoever did was, was brilliant. But that's not the point. Uh, let's work out our conflict. Deal? Cool. All right. So Paul shifts from these women to the whole church, and he gives some imperatives to the believers. Verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonable, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. George Mueller says that, the, that rejoicing is the first great and primary business of the Christian. Rejoicing is the first great and primary business of the Christian. Paul commands rejoicing. And he commands it for always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul isn't saying rejoice in the good times. He's not saying, rejoice when you feel like it. He's writing from a Roman prison, and he says, rejoice always. And this posture of joy, our rejoicing is rooted in the Lord. In our fellowship with and in our relationship with Jesus, 
Our fellowship, our joy is rooted in our relationship with Christ. It's not something that we can manufacture and maintain apart from faith and dependency in him. Well, there will be more on that in a second. Paul also says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonableness is considered an untranslatable word from the original Greek. The uh, HCSB translates it graciousness. The NLT says considerate. The NASB says gentle spirit. The NIV says gentleness. Essentially, though, it's the opposite of being contentious. Maya, it's okay, baby. Reasonableness is the opposite of being contentious. It's the opposite of being self-seeking. This is taking on the posture of Jesus, who is gentle and who is gracious. The idea is that believers in Christ should be kind and should be gracious and should be gentle towards one another in view of this watching world. And we need this spirit in the church as we handle conflict We need the Spirit in the church when it comes to our preferences. We need the Spirit in the church when it comes to extending grace to one another in the name of Jesus. This is also a missional calling as we engage a culture that is anti-Jesus. Within this cultural war right now that we're living in, everyone is so divided on absolutely everything. And as Christians, it is important to contend for truth with the scriptures in view as people who reflect the love and grace of Jesus. This is not a call to be soft. This is not a call to be cowardly. This is not a call to be passive, but to correctly handle the scriptures and stand for the truth of the gospel in a way that is kind and thoughtful and winsome. Paul then adds, the Lord is near. Commentators and scholars debate over what this means, either that Jesus is near through the Holy Spirit, and that's true, or that the Lord Jesus is coming again soon, also true. So it isn't worth debating, because I'd like to think Paul has both in mind, because both are true. The fact that Christ is returning should cause us to live with urgency now, Christians. And the fact that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit should lead us to pray for help as we engage in conflict and engage in mission. And because the Lord is near to believers through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have everything that we need in Him. He comforts us when we are in need. He guides us through life by guiding us in holiness. And when we pray, he draws near to us as we draw near to him. The Lord is at hand, both in a spatial sense and in a temporal sense. He is near now through the Holy Spirit, and he is coming again to restore creation. So let's hop back to this theme of rejoicing in all circumstances for a second. Verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made, known to, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Paul literally says, stop being anxious. Stop being anxious. And stop being anxious about anything. So this might get a little touchy here. Uh, And it might get a little touchy because anxiety seems to be one of our more culturally acceptable sins that we revel in today. And I'll just be real honest, like I struggle with it a lot, if I'm honest. So I'm not saying anything to you all that I don't need to hear myself as well. But Scripture, including Jesus, has a lot to say about anxiety. Proverbs 12.25 tells us that anxiety weighs down our hearts. To be anxious is to be unnecessarily concerned with things. To be filled with worry about things like food or clothes or our lives or the future or things we have said or things that have been said about us or money or our image, our reputation. John Piper defines anxiety this way. Anxiety seems to be an intense desire for something accompanied by fear of the consequences of not receiving it. It's like imagining the worst-case scenario before the events really even start occurring. And so many of us, including me sometimes, live these lives consumed with worry. And Jesus and Paul talk about this type of anxiety as a sinful distrust in God who is our provider. This is what pastors and scholars and theologians refer to as functional atheism. Because when we function like this, we are living as if God does not exist. We are rejecting not only God's existence, Again, we are rejecting the existence of God, who is our provider when we function like this. But we're also rejecting his kingly rule over all things. Specifically, Christians, you reject the rule of God over your life when you function like this. And anxiety negatively impacts you as a Christian because it robs you of your joy. And it makes you self-absorbed. When you are consumed with anxiety, you can't focus on serving God and focus on serving others. Anxiety also negatively impacts you as a Christian because it robs you of peace. Because when you're functioning out of wild, unchecked anxiety, we live in such a way where we have assumed the role of ourselves as God. And that is a weight you cannot bear. And therefore you have no peace. Because you're trying to control. You're trying to fix. You're trying to strive after things that are completely beyond your ability to handle. And the scriptures tell us to cast all of our anxieties on him. 
This is 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So what is the response? What is the response? Some people turn to exercise. Some people turn to alcohol or substances or medicine or breathing techniques or counseling. I'm not anti-exercise. I'm not anti-physical health. I'm not anti-counseling. But what we need first are not these solutions. Because anxiety, first and foremost, is a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual issue. And I'm not minimizing like the physical and physiological and psychological um, things that go on. Because some of us may be predisposed to anxiety and depression or whatever. Because I think... We are all wired in our brokenness towards some sins over others. However, anxiety at its core is a spiritual issue and it requires a spiritual solution. So let me show you how this has played out in my own life and see if you can identify with me or relate to me. I have seasons where my anxiety and my depression seem to be more pronounced. I can't identify why, but when I take some inventory of that season in my life, I do identify a few common factors. When I am most anxious and most depressed, my spiritual disciplines often tend to be lacking. Most of the spiritual disciplines seem to set the course of my life. So when I'm not struggling with anxiety, I can look at my life and see that I'm reading my Bible with delight. I'm praying with consistency. My heart tends to really delight in worship and really delight in the adoration of Jesus. I'm a kinder husband and a much gentler father and probably a better pastor. When I am struggling with anxiety, I can look over the season I'm in and I'm not delighting in the Lord. My Bible reading has become a chore. My prayer life, if there is one at all, is usually pretty mechanical and self-serving. The point is this, when I'm anxious, I'm generally not praying. When I'm anxious, I'm generally not in the Word. And I bet that's true for you, too. And I could do all the other things. I could work out, I could get on meds, whatever. Again, not against those things at all. But if my heart is still not inclined towards Jesus then I am masking some deeper issues. If my heart is not inclined towards Jesus, I still haven't gotten to the source of my unbelief. And while I may feel better physically or chemically, if this isn't leading me to pursuit of Christ, then I am just masking problems. 
What I've learned recently through counseling and, and community is that the Lord has actually used my anxiety as a reminder of my neediness. When I am anxious, the solution is not to run from it, but to lean into it. For me, and I'm not saying this is a universal truth about anxiety, but for me, anxiety is revealing a fundamental distrust about who God says he is and who he says that I am. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. When your mind is on the Lord, and when your mind is on the things of the Lord, it's hard to be anxious. Because when you are focused on the Lord, the Prince of Peace gives us his peace, and that peace is perfect. Jesus has promised to give us everything we need. He cares for the birds of the air, and he cares for the flowers of the field, and Jesus says, are you not more valuable than they are? I can trust that God knows more of what I need than I do. So the invitation is to pursue him and pursue his righteousness. We have been invited to cast our fears and our cares and our anxieties on the Lord who sees you and cares for you. And listen, in this age of skepticism and distrust, it must be said that you can trust God and you can trust his word. God is a good father who cares for his children. God is never caught off guard by what you are dealing with. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is holy, sinless, and good, and pure. And we know he loves us because he came and died in our place. Scripturally, the way we deal with our anxiety is by praying. And I think so often we rob ourselves of that peace that surpasses all understanding because we don't always approach God the way that he desires for us to do so. Peace comes from being in the presence of God. And he has invited us in through the blood of Christ. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have perfect faith or perfect words or perfect disciplines in order to submit your neediness to Jesus. Because the blood of Christ poured out for you on the cross, if you are a Christian, because of Jesus' blood and his sacrifice to you, God wants a relationship with you. Not just when you're at your best, but especially when you are at your worst. He desires you. Draw near to him because he has promised to help you in your time of need. Because he has helped you at your most neediness and desperate and he has saved you from your sin. Paul doesn't say that prayer is going to keep you from hard things. But in our prayer, we can give our heavy burdens over to God to carry for us. 
Merida again, he says, this peace that surpasses every thought and this extraordinary, uh, this is peace that surpasses every thought and this is extraordinary. We can have peace when it doesn't make sense to have it. The peace from God transcends all understanding. The Lord is with us and that should encourage us. Paul gives us another way to fight our anxiety, and that is by thinking about things that are worthy of praise. This is a calling to have our minds renewed by Jesus. Look at verse 8 together. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Christian, having received Jesus and his righteousness, you then, as a believer, should think righteously. You can think on God's righteous acts. More aptly stated, do you think about the gospel daily? Paul gives us a list of things that are morally and spiritually excellent in contrast with the culture that he was living in uh, and and, in our culture, uh, the culture of decadence back then and the culture of debauchery today. And Paul tells us to think on these things, to fill your mind up with these things. Paul encourages us to take our thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And in order to know what is true, in order to know what is honorable, and in order to know what is just and pure and lovely and commendable, we have to know God. We have to know God as revealed in his word. It is impossible to cultivate a Christ-centered mind when you are not living a Christ-centered life. It is impossible, Christian, to cultivate a Christ-centered life, or Christ-centered mind when you are not cultivating a Christ-centered life. And this is a corporate calling. This is for the church. Verse 9 shows us the picture of discipleship. What you see in one another, that represents Christ. What you see in one another, the things that represent Christ, put into practice together. Paul has been talking about having peace from God, and now he exhorts the church on what it looks like to create an environment that is conducive to this peace. He is calling this church to not only think about these things, but to remind one another about the nature and character of God and to remind one another to pursue these things. He's saying, church, have unified thoughts about the Lord Jesus and a unified pursuit of him. Be imitators of Christ. Be imitators of Christ. And how are you doing? As you consider your life this year, this month, this week, are you imitating Christ? 
Are you an imitator of Christ? Does your life look like the life of Jesus and the calling that he has placed on your life, Christian? The calling on all of us is to rest. Rest in the finished work of Jesus for us. And then to care about the things of Jesus and pursue them. Are you walking in conflict with another brother or sister? The calling on your life is to think about Jesus and so be reconciled to one another in the way that Christ has reconciled us back to himself. Are you burdened with anxiety all the time? Think about Jesus and his provision for us. He has made a way to have eternal life. And through himself, he has made a way for us to be reconciled to the God of the universe. He has provided for our future. He can certainly provide for our todays. Listen, peace just doesn't happen. Anxiety just doesn't magically go away. If we are struggling with fear and anxiety, you can't just hope it away. You can't just wish it away, Christian. You have to reorder your life in order to have peace. And what I mean is this. God's peace, God's peace especially resides in those who have ordered their lives in accordance with God's will. This includes proper and disciplined thoughts and good Christian living, doing the things that Christ has called you to. He's given us two sets of instructions on peace, and they complement each other. When anxiety appears, the cure is to pray. When your life is disorderly, The cure is mental and practical discipline. When life is disorderly, meaning when we are struggling in sin or struggling in our faith, order your life in order to have the discipline necessary to pursue him in faith. You're not just waking up one morning and having perfect desires for Jesus. You're not waking up one morning having not read your Bible ever in your life or consistently and having a perfect knowledge about the scriptures. It takes discipline and it takes time and it takes effort and God is faithful to meet us right where we're at. But you have to pursue him too. Listen, perhaps... If you're struggling with anxiety and fear and doubt, consider your prayer life and your Bible reading. And consider your connection to community and the church. These are all gifts to you, Christian. They're gifts to you because God, the good Father, gives you good gifts. And if you are struggling with fear and anxiety, God will not 
allow his children to continue to walk in disobedience. He will lovingly discipline you in order to bring you back into faith and dependency. So if you are struggling, know that you are called to peace, Christian, and he has given you the tools necessary to fight. And unfortunately, so many of us just neglect the tools he's given us in order to know him and in order to experience his peace. If I'm honest, away from my notes again, if I'm honest, when I'm struggling with anxiety, generally my first response is not to pray. And so it generally gets worse. But Christ has offered me his peace. So we can know him and know his peace and experience him when we commune with him. If you're burdened with if you're burdened with impure thoughts, remind yourself of the purity of the Savior Jesus, who lived a perfect, sinless life and died in your place. And then get some accountability. Confess and repent and get some accountability. The cross of Christ sets you free to live in love and to live in light and to live in the delight and service to Jesus. You have been freed from sin and shame, so walk in joy, Christian, because you have a God who sees you and loves you. Let's pray.